All right, you're listening to the Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On today's show, Julia Tertian, longtime cookbook writer, recipe developer, one-time private chef, um, someone who I've known for years, although never have really gotten a chance to talk to her about how she does what she does. And she is coming out with her own cookbook, Small Victories, next week on September 6th. Uh, so Julia stopped by the studio and uh, we talked cookbooks and food and all sorts of other good stuff. Let's do this. Julia, I'm going to be honest with you. I was hoping, expecting you were going to arrive today with a tray of these raspberry <laughs> jam buns with creme fraiche I should have planned ahead. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I came on the bus this morning, and I, I guess they would have fared pretty well. So you maybe next time. Been, yeah. you, you either would have had some very happy busmates or very uh, yeah. angry ones, depending on whether you shared them. Well, let, let, let's talk about your new book. Sure. Small I'd victory. Um, and I, I do want to talk about these raspberry jam buns because I do think it sort of gets at what the whole book is about. Um, and in the introduction uh, to the buns, you talk about how you took a cooking class at what was the French Culinary Institute and is now the ICC, International mm-hmm. Culinary Center. Um, and I can relate to this because I, I have this same sort of hesitation, I guess. You said prior to the course, anytime I saw yeast as an ingredient in a recipe, I turned the page. Yeast, it seemed over my head and too easy to mess up. What I can offer you in a condensed space is this. Don't be afraid. It's just a tool just like any other leavening ingredient like baking powder. The other thing I learned, a true small victory, is that once you stop being afraid of yeast, mastering a basic yeasted dough like the one I've included here means that everything from cinnamon buns to dinner rolls is within your reach. And I love that as a premise of a book. As you said, if you can do one thing or two mm-hmm. things, you can probably do yeah. 100. You just don't know it. Yeah, that's definitely the um, sort of guiding principle of small victories. Every recipe is introduced by what I like, sort of I'm doing air quotes as a small victory. Yeah. So it's like a tip or a technique. Um, here it's kind of just that sort of wrapping your mind around the idea of yeast, which can be this intimidating It ingredient. is. And I, yeah. I mean, personally, I, I see that. I'm like, ah, oh, do I want to deal with yeah. the rising thing? Yeah. And what if I don't – what if I – let it rise not mm-hmm. long enough, mm-hmm. or what if it doesn't sort of bubble up the mm-hmm. way it's supposed to? And then in the magazine, I'm always like, well, are people going to want to try this? Is this too hard? What made you get over that? Um, I There's a little bit of um, a hereditary thing. My grandparents were ran a bread bakery, so I never knew them. So it's something I've always wanted to just learn and know better. Um, and then I would say the other turning point for me was... I guess maybe two years ago or a year ago it came out. I worked on the Hot Bread Kitchen cookbook. um, And that was like this amazing crash course for me and learning all about bread baking from all over the world and sort of learning also about how approachable a lot of it is. And people are baking bread everywhere. And it's like the oldest thing in the world. So if lots of people can do it, I'm sure I could probably give it a shot. And the more I did it, you know, the easier it became. So that was a really helpful thing. But I think it's getting over these fears of ingredients. I think yeast is especially confusing because there's so many different types and it's hard to know what to do. But and a lot of bread baking and just baking in general is written very prescriptively. And Mm -hmm. like, I think the intuition that I feel like you write a lot about enjoying in the kitchen, and I do as well. Like that seems to go out the window when it comes to things like yeah, it becomes intimidating. Yeah. I, I get scared, and I think yeah. that's as a cook. Like I'm a cook who rarely uses recipes, and especially when you sort of enter the science of mm-hmm. baking, it it scares me. Yeah, I mean, what I love you do, what you do here, and what you do in most of the recipes book, you have a spinoff box afterwards, mm-hmm. and essentially you're saying you sort of roll out this dough and you're spreading it with this yummy 
raspberry jam, um, like a pizza, then you roll it up and then you slice those into exactly. little buns. Then yep. you're saying, well, if you can do that, you can also make cinnamon rolls. You can do garlic buns, yeah. um, herb goat cheese buns, monkey bread. Who doesn't love monkey bread? Salami <laughs> or prosciutto bread. Um, and it's like, oh, yeah. Like, and, and I think that's what's interesting. It's, I always love that notion of good recipes are more techniques than recipes. If you understand the technique, Absolutely. then you can do a yeah. lot of things. Yeah, every recipe in the book has these spinoffs, these variations. And my thought was once you know this small victory, the tipper technique, you can make this thing, but you can make so many other things. And like you said, it's like once you know how to make something, you actually know how to make a lot more things, um, which was really my sort of jumping off point for the book because I was having all these conversations with people who were like, oh, I'd love to cook more. Um, but I only make like three things. And I was like, well, what are the three things they would tell me? I was like, you you can make like 300 things. Like yeah. you just don't realize it yet. So it's, you know, mixing up the fillings, all that kind of stuff. Really just, it becomes exponential. All right. On your forward page, you have a picture of the raspberry buns. Um, two things I love about this spread. A, the photography at Gentle and Hires, the photo team, it's delicious, but it's also messy. Mm-hmm. They're it, Amazing. They're, and I, I imagine that was because sometimes you look at cookbooks and like, oh my God, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. But then perfect seems inaccessible. Yeah. How much I, of that was a discussion? Um, it was less of a discussion than just a kind of happened naturally. We shot the whole book at my house. Um, so it was very much like quite literally for my home kitchen yeah. tears. Um, I made all the food with the help of my friend Larry. There was no like professional food stylist there. Um, and I'm not perfect, so I wasn't, you know, yeah. I didn't want to give you some, you know, pristine, perfect thing because that would be pretty inaccurate. So it's very much, I mean, it's literally like from my hands to yours. Yeah. So. Um, and Ina Garten wrote Ina your Gart- I know. Is that I'm the coolest sti- thing I'm ever? I'm still not over that. <laughs> Can you believe that? Every time I open the book, I'm like, I didn't know this can't be mine. <laughs> how did they explain how that relationship came about? Um, I used to work a lot as a private chef, um, and I had uh, done a few dinners for um, a very close friend of Ina's. And so the first time I met her, she had... Um, Barbara had been hosting this dinner. I was cooking it, and um, I know it was one of the guests. What did you make that night? I made meatballs. Really? And, nice. Mm-hmm. Spaghetti? Spaghetti or and made, meatballs. Uh-huh. Um, what else? And did you I do made, garlic bread? Uh, did I that night? I can't. That would be something I would remember, and I can't. Yeah. I made different, a few different vegetables, like mm-hmm. kind of like room temperature, set like a roasted vegetable thing. Um, and then I made, and the recipe for this is in the book, these sort of like orange granita kind of creamsicle things oh, that were layered nice. with like mascarpone that I whipped with a little cream. So you sort of layered the like crunchy, yeah, yeah, yeah. creamy, That's kind nice. of bright orange with the cream. So it was like an orange Julius. Did kind you of thing. know that Ina was coming over? I did. And were you I totally like, nervous. Yeah. And I've cooked for all sorts of different people. And I'm like, I'm not one that gets very starstruck, but I, that was like a pretty major moment. And she came into the kitchen afterwards to tell me she enjoyed it. And I like, I was like, I thought I was gonna have to pick myself up off yeah. the floor, <laughs> but she's amazing. And she's, um, been very, very supportive, which I'm really grateful for, and just a good friend. No, she's, uh, yeah, we had her on the podcast and such a warm, genuine, I mean, she is Ina, yeah. which I kind of love about I that. I love that interview. What you see on TV, great. yeah, yeah. Uh, who yeah. she is. But how did you, with something like that, you know, in, in our business, in the food world, mm-hmm. you you meet a lot of people. Um, how do you maintain a relationship without being like, oh, I want to be your friend? You sure, know? Like, yeah. I think... I mean, I can't remember, like, I don't know who was the first to reach out mm. yeah, <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. But we, we sort of struck up, like, a nice little, like, email relationship. Yeah. And then I used to do a lot of that private chef work um, near where Ina lives. So we, like, had some coffees and stuff. And, I mean, I was just, you know, we're not, like, 
you know, super, yeah. like we don't talk on the phone every day or anything, but oh I definitely God. consider her a close friend. I just think she's amazing. And she, like you were saying, is the same kind of off camera that she is, you know, on camera. And she's that same very warm, lovable person. And what I love about her is like the quality of love and a lot of people, um, sort of in my life and especially women like she's exactly who she is and yeah. it's like unabashed and I just think that's awesome did she see you did she want to support you as someone that oh this this person has a lot of promise and I want to help her as like professionally um, and sort of mentoring in a sort I of mean, way that would be a great question for her yeah. but I, I definitely feel that way and I feel yeah. really grateful for that um, and I she's totally like the person I look up to in this world because what I do for a living is I mean it's not unheard of yeah. there's plenty of people who write cookbooks but I feel like my career path when I think about it as such like she's the person I think of as like a, a little guiding light yeah absolutely what, or what, was, what was being a private chef like because in part I, part of, I have some friends who do that and part of me is like man that must be amazing and then part of me is like wow that's kind of odd like it's a little bit of both of those things. Um, it's something that I kind of fell into I wouldn't say by accident I've always loved to cook but mm. my sort of passion forever has been combining cooking and writing. But before I could support myself fully as a writer and someone who writes about food, you know, I had to pay my rent. <laughs> and yeah. private chefing at the time was something that really, like, made a lot of sense. Um, in a lot of ways, I loved it. It made me a much better cook. It made me a faster cook because mm -hmm. you're constantly just pulling off meals that are, like, you don't have enough time to do yeah, that kind of thing. Oh, by the way, the yeah. so and so's are yeah, coming over tonight. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, she's a oh, and there's exactly, and he exactly, like, like exactly. I'm getting like <laughs> PTSD. Um, and we'll need some more dirt yeah. for cocktail hour. <laughs> but so the pros are like there is this kind of rush of adrenaline, and when you do pull it off, like it feels really like satisfying. Um, and it's nice to be able to cook so much food and entertain and stuff, and not really on your dime. Like yeah. you're getting to kind of like you know. Go to Citarella exactly, and not have to exactly, worry about what it yeah, costs. exactly. Which that's kind of fun to buy ingredients with someone else's credit card. Um, would you would now would you like go to the Hamptons for the summer and in bed with a family? Mm -hmm, yeah. Or would you live at the house? Um, it would depend on who the client was and how mm -hmm. long, but at times and how nice the house yeah, was. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but cons are kind of exactly that. Like it's never your life isn't yours when you're doing that. Mm -hmm. Like your schedule isn't really yours. So I did it at a point in my life where my life was really. Um, able to kind of accommodate that. Yeah. Like I could just pick up, pack a suitcase, go whenever I wanted. But now um, I'm married. We live upstate. We have a mortgage. We have dogs. Like yeah. there's other things I that... Know, I know how that goes. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, I wouldn't trade any of that. Um, it's, it's wonderful. When you were private chefing, mm -hmm. how often would you try to sort of work on your own recipes? Or mm -hmm. did you always try to play it safe because you knew you had to please the, Again, the it would totally depend on... That was kind of what was so interesting about it is... Um, you know, it was different every day and it was different with each client and stuff. Um, and sometimes there were plenty of people I worked with who, um, you know, wanted something specific. And then there were lots of people who were like, you know, make whatever you want or like within these kinds of, you know, guidelines yeah. or framework. So I know you through a lot of the cookbooks you've uh, co-written or collaborated mm -hmm. on a recipe developed on. What was the first one you did and how did you get started with uh, that? The first one I did was pretty, um, it was a big one. It was um, the companion book to the PBS show called Spain on the Road Again. And the cookbook was Spain, a Culinary Road Trip. Um, and that was, I guess it was nearly 10 years ago when we were like filming and writing and all that stuff. So it probably and, came out like nine years ago. So that was the with, show to refresh the. Yeah, the it was um, it was Mario Batali and Gwyneth Paltrow and Mark Bittman <laughs> and a wonderful Spanish actress, Claudia Basols, traveling around Spain. That was such Spain. a wacky show. It's like, I mean, it was, yeah, <laughs> like you're like, wait, this is an actual show. Yeah. Like, we'll throw Bittman in the backseat. Yeah. And, <laughs> and for my kind of random kind of experience being there, um, 
it was it was my first job out of college. It was we. Well, went, how did that happen? Like, how uh, did you end guy, up like, hanging out with Mario and Gwyneth? At this is like, I just wait, showed what? Up. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys. Um, I mean, kind of, not really. But I, the guy who put together the whole show, who was the director and you know executive producer, is um, a wonderful guy named Charlie Pinsky, who yeah. has been a long time producer of long food time. shows. Yep. I have. Um, known Charlie pretty much my whole life. I've known his family. Our families have intersected like at many different times throughout generations. Um, there's been a lot of funny little parallels. And so I went to college in New York on the Upper West Side. I went to Barnard and Charlie lives on the Upper West Side. And I kind of literally knocked on his door when I was, you know, 18 or 19. And I was like, I know you do all this great stuff. It's stuff I'd love to be involved in. So I started working kind of unofficially part-time for Charlie during school and would do just random, like, research. And he was working with Mark Bittman on some PBS shows, and I was doing, you know, they did a website for the show, and I was, like, yeah. writing copy for the website. I was. Were you an English major? Or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Poetry. Poetry? Really wow. useful. <laughs> so so how old were you when the Spain book came about? Um, I guess I was working on it. If I, I guess I was, like, 21, 22. Wow. Did you then, go on the road with him mm-hmm, at all? Yeah. And it's like when I well, think how did back, that, so, they, they, so I was working for Charlie in college and then he he had been putting together um, plans for the show. And this yeah. was like a real big, you know, undertaking for him. Um, and he, um, I think, you know, I had just proved that I could get, yeah. you know, whatever the job was, I'll get it done. Yeah. I don't really yeah. care what it is. I just like yeah. being there, um, which I think is a valuable quality when you're in production. <laughs> um, and so Charlie said to me, you know, like, we'll find a place for you, like, just come on this trip and I had no idea what I was doing there. The whole thing was like, you know, you must have been so, freaking uh, out. You're like, my first job, yeah. I'm going to go on the road with Gwyneth Paltrow and Mario Batali. Yeah, it was pretty like, and now I'm writing a cookbook yeah, at age 21. But I was just taking, because I was so anxious about being there, I couldn't believe I was there. I just spent the whole time taking notes, like furious, copious <laughs> notes. And I would write them by hand. And then every night, you know, we'd get back to have to whatever hotel, wherever. And Mario we were. was like, let's have a bottle of Frenette. And no, you're literally. like, no, I have to transcribe no, my I notes. What I learned to do on that trip was I would meet with Mario at the end of the day to go over recipes and stuff. And he would pour me whatever he was drinking and but I couldn't keep up with no. my work so I would could, always could keep up with no that. but I would find like the ice bucket or the plant and I would pour my drink <laughs> into it and then I would turn around and then he was like oh great Tertian like have another I was like yeah sure <laughs> I threw out a lot of a lot of booze just to keep up but um yeah that's amazing. It, was, it was a trip All literally right, so, and, yeah and then that obviously led to your collaboration with Gwyneth Paltrow mm-hmm. on her first two books. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about, yeah, about the timing of it, because mm-hmm. like I said, you, you've worked on a lot of cookbooks. You did Gwyneth, you did the Bouvette cookbook, mm-hmm. um, a bunch of them. Um, what made you think, oh, I'm ready to do my own right now? I mean, my whole life I've been obsessed with cookbooks, and I thought maybe one day if I felt like I had enough to offer, I'll do my own. And I, I kind of felt like I was at that point um, when I had been doing all the private chef work. I kind of had this little rule for myself um, just to keep it interesting that I never wanted to repeat anything unless it was requested. Um, so I was constantly just coming up with new stuff or just new variations what, on things. What, what was your the one dish that, that was always requested? Honestly, um, Caesar salad. Uh-huh. Yeah. I put the Julius Caesar as in small victories. <laughs> I couldn't resist the name. Um, I think with private chefing, you're kind of, I mean, this is off topic, but you're, you know, people are asking you to cook in their home. So they're looking for really 
I think like really comforting homey. Yeah. Like if you're looking for you want Ina Gart. Yeah, yeah. And if you want really like fine dining kind of, you know, stuff, like I think if you can afford a private chef, you can probably afford to go to, yeah. you know, La Bernadette or wherever. So I did a lot of like I did a lot of spaghetti and meatballs and Caesar salad that was really like a go to meal. Um but anyway, so I had been keeping track of these things I was making and the way I kept track of it was I basically kept an email going to myself for years, like a draft of just like writing down and not really recipes, but just like, oh, I made, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, and then you accidentally this was like, deleted all your emails. That's <laughs> <laughs> my big fear. That's like knock on wood. Um, so I had kind of been amassing this collection of just thoughts and recipes and stories. Um, and then I kind of had this, like, it was a real, I can only describe it as like an Oprah aha moment, like just kind of slapped my forehead where I just thought of this concept of small victories because it had been this, um, you know, it's a familiar phrase and yeah. it's something that I, I used to say and continue to say all the time. Um, I think it is, I mean, it's sort of cheesy, but I think it's kind of like a nice way of approaching life. Like you just embrace these small victories. And I thought like, oh, that's, that's my guiding principle. That's the hook. That's like what's going to define all these recipes. Cause I had this group of recipes in mind, but nothing to kind of tie them together. Um, and the food I make is all like really, you know, doable to make at home. It's all home cooking, but it's very sort of eclectic. It's like, there's some Korean stuff. There's old Jewish classics. There's, you know, like, oh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm looking at right now. And is that just the world we live in? I guess in America, you have ribs with gochujang, which is the Korean mm-hmm. sort of chili paste, mm-hmm. if you will, exactly. uh, yeah. fish sauce and honey. Um, which sounds really delicious. They're good. Are, are these the type you bake in the oven and then finish on yeah, the Yeah, you cook them for like a while and then finish it, like the grill or the apart. broiler or whatever. Yeah. But then with your little sort of small victory spinoff box, what I love here is that you make this point, you can braise all sorts of rich meats before finishing them on the grill, uh, short ribs, brisket, pork belly. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, yeah, I can just take short the ribs, same thing. take just, the same yeah. recipe. Mm-hmm. Or you say, take these same ribs and you can also use the Emily mustard sauce on page 151 or half mustard, half honey or maple syrup. And... Um, yeah, just because you, I think people get stuck on that. Mm-hmm. Well, this sauce has to go with these ribs. You're exactly. Like, no, it doesn't. Yeah. You know? I mean, my sort of big joke is that I love writing recipes. I think it's like it's. I love it, um, but I never follow them ever. Like, so I, I mean, I follow ask my you own. That. Yeah. I, I so rarely cook by a recipe, which is odd because I edit a food <laughs> magazine with a lot of recipes every month. But I don't know why that is. I don't know. Like, what it, is that? Just like the when you're driving and you don't want to be. You don't want to ask for directions? Yeah. I think it's, I mean, maybe a little bit, but I think also, I mean, from, you know, however much we know each other and how much I read your work and stuff, like, you cook a lot. And I think once you get to know cooking, like, cooking's pretty doable. Um, and I, I really believe so strongly in making it feel that way as much as I can for anyone who picks up this book. Um, and I think once you kind of get to know a few things, like, you realize, like, you know, all of this is possible and recipes aren't prescriptions. They're kind of these jumping off points. But I like to give a really well-tested, well-written recipe just if you want to follow it to a T. Yeah. But my dream is that people just kind of riff on it. All right. So you and your wife, Grace Bondi, mm-hmm. who runs Design Sponge. Mm-hmm. We call that a blog. What do you call that? What do you, um, I, I think she still calls still, it a blog. Yeah. yeah I think feels, those things feel bigger yeah. than I call blog. it her site. Her site. Yeah. Yes, her site. Her yeah. brand. And um, home design interior. What do we call yeah. it? Home design? Yeah. Interiors. And very much also about the sort of people behind those stories, whether yeah. it's like homeowners or people who make things, yeah. um, small businesses, that kind of stuff. Uh, and she was in our magazine a few years back. Yes. Did yeah. yeah. Uh, love that photo. Um, and a Q&A. Um, uh, so you're like very involved in the food world. You write 
cookbooks. You write your own cookbook. You used to host a radio show for Cherry Bomb mm-hmm. over at Heritage Radio at Roberta's. Grace is uh, very plugged into the design world, and it you don't live in New York City. <laughs> You decided to up and leave. Yeah, how did we that escaped. happen? We um, it was kind of it wasn't really Don't the plan. Don't you have to live in New York City? Well, that's what I thought. But then we um, so I would say I guess in December we'll have owned our house for two years. So we um, we wanted a little place upstate, like a weekend, small, inexpensive thing. Um, the part of upstate that, that never happens. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and the part of upstate we live in is like still fairly affordable, just in terms of kind of real estate prices, at least compared to New York City. Um, We wanted to buy something. We couldn't afford to do it here. And we started looking, and this little thing that was our fantasy, um, we just kind of stepped on it because we fell in love with a much bigger, much more expensive house. Um, So we got it, and the plan was not to move upstate full-time. We um, kept renting our apartment, which at that point was in Greenpoint. I think Grace was, I think the day we got the key, she was ready to move. She was kind of over the city. Um, But I was like, being a New Yorker is such a big part of my personality. Like, I define myself by living here. here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, this is who am I if I don't live in New York City? Like, it was like an identity crisis. So we, um, you know, kind of did the back and forth thing. The other really major part of why it was a very easy thing for us is we both work from home and kind of do our own thing. So, it, you know, it didn't affect our jobs or... There was no commute or anything like that. Um, neither of us had to like quit a job in order to make this move. So we were splitting our time and then sort of quickly realizing we just never wanted to go back to the city. Yeah. And we were really happy in our house. Well, and that was that. But I mean, my parents used to live upstate in Chatham, New York, up in the Berkshires. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different being in upstate New York on a summer weekend than a Tuesday in yeah. February. We like don't leave the house this time of year on the weekend. Like we don't want to. So but, but uh, like, yeah. what about the rest of the year? Like when it's dark at 4 p.m. I mean, and, like, do yeah. you feel lonely? And I don't know. I kind of like those winter days. We like. Do you have friends year round? Yeah. We've made now? like a really yeah. nice kind of group of friends. We got sort of um, taken in by our real estate agent, Jeff, and his husband, Larry, oh, became nice. really good friends. Larry's who helped me a lot with small victories, especially at the shoot. He was my like right hand. Uh, he's a great cook. Um, just a great person. Right, I'm going to assume there's probably not an Eataly or Whole Foods near where you live. <laughs> no, so there is what, not. Do you, what do you do for shopping? And there's stuff? A, an open invitation for yeah. one. <laughs> um, we, I mean, we're lucky to live near, you know, you mentioned going to the green market mm-hmm. in New York. We live near a lot of the farms that go to that green market. Yes. So we can very much, you know, go straight to the source, um, which is a wonderful thing. There's, you, you kind of have to, the way you're talking about walking around to all these different places, there's a little bit of driving you have to do. Um, there's a really great seafood shop in New Paltz, which we're like 25 minutes okay. from. So I go there sometimes. I kind of try to group things with errands. Like that's where the Chase Bank is. So like. All right. Before we let you go, Julia. Sure. Lightning round. Sweet or savory? Savory. Yes. Mm-hmm. Crispy, salty. Yeah, Totally. Goodness. Like a bite of ice cream afterwards. But just... <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no. But savory, savory. Kimchi or coleslaw? Oh, that's a hard one. Mm. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna go with kimchi. But like... I'm gonna be thinking about this for the next like three days. I love, you know, coleslaw is a very summery centric sort of thing. But there's what's fascinating about kimchi is how. It can influence a dish in mm-hmm. so many different ways. I've just started doing kimchi mayo where you mm-hmm. like will blitz oh, kimchi yeah. with Delicious. mayonnaise and a Cuisinart mm-hmm. or whatever or Vitamix or whatever. Yeah. And then you just spread that on yeah. everything. You're like, oh, my God. And I think good to remember kimchi is kind of like a catch-all term. Yeah. Like it's not just the straight catch. So there's like some variety. Recipe development or recipe writing? Like the intros and mm. such. Oh, oh, okay. Um Honestly, the development, I think I put off the writing more than I do the 
developing yeah. and, and testing. London Gwyneth or Hamptons Gwyneth? <laughs> um, I guess she's maybe not in London anymore. Well, so. when you were working with oh, her, when I, I was working she with was. her. Where, where was more fun to sort of? Work I guess London because it was fun for me to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Scrambled or fried? Scrambled. How do you do your scramble? Honestly, I um, my wife makes them. Really? <laughs> yeah. She's, so she's allowed to cook? Oh, yeah. She's yes. a great cook. And she's a great breakfast cook. And she wakes up before I do. So she often makes <laughs> breakfast. I actually have, she made me a frittata for the bus that I've been working Aww. on. Yeah. She's pretty sweet. Uh, Twitter or Instagram? Instagram. Do you have a sort of a, a rule about how often you try to post or want to post? No, no rule. I think it's, I think it kind of, if I'm bored, I think I post more. Yeah. <laughs> like, Exactly. You're on a bus. Yeah, exactly. Uh, roast chicken or fried? Ooh, that's a mm. tough one. Um, um, my gut instinct is to go with roast. Yeah. But tough. Nice Jewish girl from New York. <laughs> French or Italian? Mm. What? Food? Yeah, and my feeling is, I'm just going to elaborate on this, I do think people cook in a certain way. Yeah. Either people cook Italian-ish, that's all they yeah. cook, and they always reach for the olive oil, yeah. and that's how every recipe begins. Italian. Yeah. Berkshires or Catskills? Catskills. I have some hometown pride. <laughs> We're not really in the Catskills, but we, we can see them. All right, last question. Butter or olive oil? Olive oil. Wow, that was no totally. hesitation. Well, I've heard, I listened to the show, yeah. so I knew it was coming. You, so I've been, I've been thinking about it. It's definitely, I love butter, but I use a lot more olive oil than I do butter. So, Joy Tertian, small victories. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank Great you. to be here. podcast has been brought to you by Christina Che and Carrie Polis, with editing by Mitra Kaboli and additional help from Lily Sherman, Emma Wartsman, and Ashley Mason. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Greedies. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Plus, right now we're offering an exclusive deal for you, our podcast listeners. You can get 50% off a one-year subscription to Bon Appetit magazine. That's just $6 for 12 issues. You'll also get our current issue plus an exclusive apron. Go to bonappetit.com slash foodcast to subscribe. Thank you.